This episode is sponsored by Gene Rontel's thriller, A Pre-Existing Condition, which is available now, and the link is in the show notes. What if someone could tap into a patient's medical records for monetary gain? In the fast-paced medical mystery thriller, A Pre-Existing Condition, amateur police detective and doctor Benjamin Daly discovers a deadly plot to kill innocent people because of their underlying illnesses. With the help of a brave whistleblower and the victims running out of time, Daly must go to great lengths to ensure death and greed don't win. A pre-existing condition is for sale now on Amazon. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From A Page, and on Twitter at burn555555. I want to say thanks to Judith Little, author of The Chanel Sisters, and A.H. Kim, author of A Good Family, for recently sharing my podcast on their social media channels. I greatly appreciate everyone that is helping me spread the word about this show. Today, I am interviewing Jane Harper. Jane is a New York Times and Sunday Times bestseller and has won numerous top awards, including the Australian Book Industry Awards Book of the Year, the Australian Indie Awards Book of the Year, the CWA Gold Dagger Award for Best Crime Novel, and the British Book Awards Crime and Thriller Book of the Year. Her books are published in more than 36 territories worldwide. She has worked as a print journalist for 13 years, both in Australia and the UK, and now lives in Melbourne. Jane is one of my favorite authors, and The Survivors is one of my Buzz Reads top picks for February. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. Welcome, Jane. How are you today? Good, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, I am thrilled to pieces. You are one of my very favorite authors, so I just so appreciate your taking the time to come on my podcast. Oh, not at all. Thank you. Well, The Survivors was such a great read and really a little different than your last couple. So I would love to talk a little bit about that. But first, why don't you just give us kind of the quick summary of the book? Yeah, sure. So The Survivors is another Australian mystery. It's set in a small town along the rugged coastline of Tasmania, which is a small island state in Australia. So it's full of small town intrigue and secrets to be uncovered. And it follows the main character, a guy called Kieran Elliott, who is a young dad and he returns to his hometown where he grew up. And he's barely had time to brush the sand off his boots when a body is discovered on the beach. Well, how did you pick Tasmania? So the settings are, I think, really important for the books. I I think about the settings really early on because I want a setting that's going to support the plot. I think the setting kind of makes the characters who they are in a way and like in terms of their experiences growing up or their relationship with the place and their opportunities as adults and all those kind of things. And then in terms of a landscape point of view, I knew I wanted to set it in a coastal town. And Tasmania is it's a, it's a small island state, so it's very coastal. It's quite isolated. It's quite a, a low population and it has a lot of that kind of feel of the swell of the summer tourists and then the kind of they all leave and it's just sort of the, the locals left behind. And and it's really beautiful as well. I mean, it's got amazing sort of seascape views and it's a really beautiful place. And so I think it was a really natural choice. As soon as I decided I wanted a, a coastal location for this book, that was that was kind of the obvious choice, I think, for me. 
One of the things I like so much about your books is the strong sense of place. I feel like you drop the reader into whatever the setting is so vividly, and I felt like I was on the beach in a coastal town, and you just so vividly portray it, and that's just fabulous. Is that something that you really have to focus on, or does it come naturally for you? It is something I do think about a lot. I think it's such a shame when you've got a great setting in a book and it just becomes kind of backdrop. I always try and make the setting kind of part of the story in terms of meaning that it, it sort of drives the action and it, it sort of makes people kind of react in certain ways because of where they're based or where they're from. I do a lot of research for the book. So I, I always do a, an underground visit, which I did for this one as well. I went to Tasmania with my, actually with my family. We, we drove down the, down the coast and I went scuba diving in Tasmania, which was something I wanted to include in the book, but I didn't know enough about. So I wanted to really get that kind of firsthand experience because I think there's some things that I think when you're writing about a setting, a lot of it is about kind of cherry picking the details that are going to really bring it to life for the reader without bogging down the action and the pacing too much. Well, and you always are also the perfect pacer. And I know we've talked about this in the past, like with The Lost Man and some of your earlier books. But again, is that something that you really focus on, kind of making sure that the action unfolds in sort of a very timely manner? Or again, does that come really naturally for you? No, it's something I, I do also think about like a lot. I think this is something I actually always say to, to people who are maybe aspiring to write their own books is that one of the mistakes I made, I think, for years when I wanted to write a book and, and didn't was thinking that an idea was going to kind of come to me fully formed and the whole thing was going to become clear and it was just going to be a case of writing it. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about the pacing. Look, I'm a big planner. That's something I've, I've kind of always done and it, it just works best for me. But I, I will think about the pacing a lot during the planning so to the point of I'll know exactly what's going to happen in each chapter, hopefully have like a bit of a cliffhanger and then how it's going to flow into the next chapter and how I'm going to open that next scene so that hopefully it kind of encourages the reader to just read like a couple more pages. Well, that's exactly what happens. You're like, okay, one more chapter. Okay, one more chapter. And then it's 2 a.m. I definitely think that is, it's, it's a very hard thing to do. It's interesting sometimes when you'll read reviews for certain books and they will say it rush, 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 then the middle slowed down and then it kind of rushed to the end. And I think yours just move along at this fabulous pace the entire time. And you are always wanting to turn the page, but there's always something happening and you don't get bogged down in unnecessary things or things that don't move the story forward. I think a, a lot of that comes back to, I was a journalist for 13 years and a print journalist before I wrote my first novel, which was a dry. And when I was doing my journalism training, I remember them saying to us, you should assume that people will not finish your articles. People are time poor, they're easily distracted, they will, they will pick it up, they'll maybe read the first couple of paragraphs and then they'll move on. And so you, you've got to try and keep them engaged as long as possible. And that's something that I think about really carefully when I'm writing the books because I'm really aware that there's lots of other options for people to, to do other books, TV shows, whatever. So I'm always trying to kind of be conscious that people can put the book down at any time and you've, you've got to kind of give them just something to kind of keep it going because there's no point in having like a killer ending if nobody gets there because it's just stagged in the middle. <laughs> right. You want them to stay invested the whole time. That's it. And I think it's about just thinking, I, I, I plan out what's going to happen, but also what clues are going to be revealed at what time. So it kind of gives people a bit of a fresh perspective at different points in the book and they start to maybe change their opinions about what's happened or start to form new theories. So you, you kind of 
drip feeding this information, hopefully their perspective of what's going on is changing as well. And they, and, and they're kind of drawn into, to really just to the point where they have to know what really happened. Well, and I think that's such a fine line because you have to have enough clues that it makes sense, but not too many clues where everybody's like, well, I saw that from early on. So, and you do that very well. Oh, you know, and it's such a, it's such a kind of fine line to walk exactly for that reason, because you want the ending to be satisfying. You don't want to kind of just pull it out of nowhere. But at the same time, readers are, readers are very sophisticated. They've probably read hundreds of these kind of novels. And so it, you kind of have to go a little bit meta with it as well in that if someone sort of seems like a suspect, strong suspect on page 20, as a reader, you know, they're probably not going to be the strong suspect on page 200. So you're sort of having to kind of be aware of the reader, the, the reader's as well. So you, you, they're not just operating within your world of fiction. They're bringing all this knowledge that they've had from other books as well. So, I mean, yeah, like modern readers are quite hard to, quite hard to fool because they're quite, quite smart and they know these books well. So it is a real kind of balancing act, but that's why I plan really. I mean, I always know the ending so that I'm not trying to pull things out at the end. I, I, I always, the whole book is geared towards the ending. So I know it's going to work at the end because really the book has been built up around that ending. Well, that works very well. <laughs> so I'm glad that you plan it like that. I was fascinated and intrigued with this sculpture, The Survivors. So tell me about that. Like, where did the idea come from that? Again, I really thought that fed into the vivid sense of place and kind of the mystery of the town. But I, I just wondered where that idea came from. Yeah, I think when I'm sort of writing about a place, like I always try and I always fictionalize it. So, so all the places in my books are fictionalized, but ideally I, I want them to be recognizable to people who've been to the region or even people who haven't. So they, they, it feels like a real place. So I'm sort of picking elements from different things in, in, in that region and trying to kind of bring them together in a, a place that feels believable. And I think for me, like a coastal that coastal town when it's sort of quite heavily reliant on tourists. And I just felt like this, this was somewhere that would have a kind of a, a draw point um, that maybe meant different things to different people as well. So for some people, it's just a tourism thing. For other people, it's something that they've kind of, the landmark they've grown up with. Other people, it's like a bit of a memorial. That was kind of where the idea came from. Well, and at one point in the book, I think you have a conversation with a couple of characters and they're like, who exactly are the survivors? Are they the the people that survived or the people that survived those that died? Isn't there some kind of conversation about that? That's right. Yeah. And I think exactly that sort of thing, people's, people have different perspectives on things. And I think that was the theme I really wanted to kind of bring out with this book is that when something happens, it exists in different ways in different people's minds and memories. People don't experience the same events in the same way. And that was, I guess, part of Kieran's story as well, is that the main character, when he returns to his hometown, he's a different person than he was when he left. He's 10 years older. He's, he's got a young family. He's matured a lot. And it sort of invites him to look back, I think, on things that he, he, he thought to be true, his own behaviors, his friendships, his perspective of things through different eyes, which I think is something a lot of people have experienced. A lot of us kind of maybe go away to like college or for work, and then you come back to a place that you know well. And, and just with that benefit of experience, things look a little bit different. So I think that's something a lot of people can relate to, hopefully. It just goes to show how flawed memory can be. And you feel certain you remember something so well, a particular way, and you go back and it's not always exactly like that. Sometimes it's very different. Sometimes it's just a little different. But And, and I do think time and perspective can help with that. And also sometimes learning from other people how they viewed the same thing. 
That's right. And I think that was sort of the kind of experience I wanted the reader to have while reading the book as well. So you, you start reading the book and and I guess with all of all of my books, but with this one, I guess particularly you're reading it and you're getting information through and then gradually your your perception of things starts to change a little bit the more information comes through and the more you sort of see things through from different perspectives. So, I mean, that's something I always really enjoy as a reader when you, you think you understand something and then you, you see something from a slightly different point of view and it changes the whole complexion of something. For sure. And then it also really helps you either bond or develop a dislike for characters when you're learning more about them. You may start out thinking, oh, I don't know about that person. And then over time, you learn a lot about them and you're like, oh, they, you know, they are a really great person or you sympathize with them or whatever it is. But it's just interesting as those facts unfold, how your perception of certain characters can change. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important with characters as well, because I think in real life, people are never all good or all bad. We're all shaped by our experiences growing up or things we've been through. And and that in turn then impacts our behavior. And that was something I actually saw a lot when I was working as a journalist. You know, you see people do things and sometimes they were like terrible things and sometimes they were great things. And often then when you, you sort of find out the kind of story behind them, it's it's nothing that's just happened in a vacuum. It's it's been 20 years of their upbringing or training or trauma or, or whatever that's kind of led to this moment. And I think that's what I always find quite interesting for me, mostly in the books. Like the the crime, I guess, or the mystery at the heart is always more of a catalyst for telling the story of the characters and how this moment came to be, what's kind of brought them all to this this kind of conclusion. Well, what was the highlight of writing The Survivors? Oh, look, I mean, I had a really great time going to Tasmania. That was really interesting. I'd been a few times before on holidays and book, book stuff and things. So I, I kind of, I knew it would be a great place to set a book, but I think going for a research trip is is always really fun. It gives you a, a real excuse to kind of be nosy and just ask people all kinds of questions and, and see all the things you wanted to see. I was really lucky that I kind of got to go in and do that when I needed to because obviously it's, travel has been quite restricted for the for the rest of the year. So I was, I was lucky just with timing that I managed to, to get that in when I needed to. And I think also I really enjoyed with this book the the way the mystery unravels. It's my fourth book and I think I've, I've learned quite a lot about kind of what techniques work for me and how to kind of approach writing a book. And I was able to kind of use a lot of those lessons that I'd learned from writing the previous three books. So it felt for me, like the planning and everything came together in this with this one exactly as I kind of hoped it would. And I, I really enjoyed the way the mystery kind of unraveled through the course of the story. I did too. So it sounds like you feel like it gets a little bit easier each time you write a book. Would you say that's right? Or is it just that this story seemed to come together for you very well? No, I think it does get a little bit easier, actually. I, I think like anything, I mean, I've I've always sort of said that writing is a skill and it's something that you could absolutely improve on. I think the more you do something, the better you get at it. And I think for sure, yeah, each time with each book, I've sort of learned more about what, what works for me in terms of getting those words on a page in a, in the most kind of efficient order so that I'm not kind of exhausting myself writing drafts that end up being deleted and things. It's the actual practical work involved has become a lot a lot easier. So it means that I can get that kind of practical stuff under my belt quicker and then get onto kind of the creative thinking a little bit faster. So yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely and that's another thing I would say to aspiring authors as well. Like it is like it is hard writing a book. Like it's not I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. Like it's a lot of time and effort and it really is like a marathon task. Whatever 
however many books you've written, especially with the first one, like you're just discovering yourself what works for you. And every author has a different way of working. And so don't be discouraged. If it feels hard, it's because it is hard. So just try different ways of working and, and just whatever works for you is the right way to do it. And then Honestly, the more you do it, the easier it, it does get. You get into that rhythm. I'm kind of now the Survivors is completely finished, turning my mind to the next book. And I'm just like thinking about ideas and what settles and trying out different things in my head first before rather than just kind of launch into it blindly. Like I'll spend a lot of time thinking about it. And then once I've settled on an idea, then I would sort of plan like a bit of a skeleton map of what I think was going to happen. And then I'll start fleshing that out. And I'll end up with like this, this huge sort of plan, like chapter by chapter essentially because for me it, it some some authors find that doesn't let them be creative enough but for me that allows me to be more creative because I can try different things without having to commit to writing 10,000 words about it I can just put in a few sentences see if it works if it doesn't I can delete it I can try a different idea and I can keep trying different ideas until I find the best one so that's kind of the approach that I take anyway Well, that makes sense. And I guess I was thinking even after you do all of the research, the sit down and start with the blank page, but it sounds like you don't ever really have that because you're kind of fiddling with it and as you go, kind of laying it all out. So there's not a time to sit down and say, okay, page one, because you've already kind of laid it out. So then you're filling in what you've already laid out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right, actually. You know, I'll have the ideas and then I'll kind of start jotting down a few ideas. And then planning is a lot less daunting for me than writing. So, you, you, because a plan is just nothing, a plan you can just change whenever. So, I'm just jotting down ideas. So, when I actually come to write the book, I've got this really, I've already got the, I already know what's going to happen. By the time I sit down and write it, it's just a question of executing it and writing it in the best possible way. That's one of my like actual top tips for people who are thinking about writing a book is just to write down your ideas. Because people, again, like I've heard authors say, oh, I remember the good ideas. I remember them. But you've got so many things to remember and you can't be expected to remember things for a year. So just if you've got an idea, just get out your phone, like open up the notes app, write it down, and then at least you've got a a record of it and you can free up your mind to think about something else. And you'd be amazed, honestly, when I go back and look through my notes, there's things that I, I honestly thought I would never forget and I completely have, they're good notes. Like I absolutely would end up using them. So it's definitely worth trying to get into that habit, I think. Well, I understand that. And this is a little different, but when I'm getting ready for these interviews, you know, I've obviously read the book, but as I'm reading the book, I'll think, oh, I want to ask about that. Or, oh, I need to mention that. And then if I don't like either make a note, like a sticky tab in the book right there or take notes, then I do the same thing. I forget to afterwards. I'm like, oh, I meant to ask all about such and such, but I had not marked it because there's just too many things to try to keep in your mind. That's it. And I mean, it's just about making it easy for yourself. I think you've got, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, that is only one part of your life. There's other things to remember, like dentist appointments and you know what you want to watch on TV and all kinds of things. So, so just make it, there's, there's no prizes for kind of it being a memory game. Like you may as well just write it down, make it easy for yourself. And then if it's no good, you can delete it later, but at least you've got it there. And at least then you kind of I genuinely think it frees up your mind. It's there, you've got that reassurance, and then you can kind of let your mind just sort of wander free and see what else comes up. I like that. I think I'm going to try that a little bit more than I currently do, because I do think it would help, especially with everything that's going on these days. Well, speaking of what you're working on, I'm going to leap ahead a little bit and ask about that. I have two questions related to that, actually. Are you ever going to return to Aaron Falk? And would you like to talk a little bit about what you're working on now? Yeah, sure. So actually, those questions probably combine, really. With Aaron, look, I I absolutely have always sort of intended to return to him. I think for me, it's always 
it's always, I think for any book, it's always really important to have the, the best possible characters to tell the story in the best way. And so I knew for both The Lost Man and The Survivors that they needed to be standalone books because I knew that this wasn't a place for him. He's a federal investigator. He works a lot with like money and yeah, he's based in Melbourne. And, and there's, there's sort of, there's certain restrictions around his character that just meant he wasn't the right fit for those books. I mean, he has a really special place in my heart and I've always wanted to return to him. It was just about finding that right vehicle really for him. And I've actually really lately been getting quite excited about an idea I've had for him. I haven't completely committed to, but I'm I'm really sort of leaning towards that way now because I think it's it's started to really shape up into exactly the kind of story I was looking for for him and it's ticking a lot of boxes in terms of stuff I look for in terms of having enough kind of legs to kind of have like sort of good twists and red herrings and things. And then also over here in Australia, of course, the movie of The Dry has just come out. It came out on New Year's Day here and it's, it's going really well. Like it's getting a really fantastic response. And it's such a great film. Like I think it's impossible, honestly, for me to to watch that film and not feel inspired and reminded about what it was about that character and that kind of storyline that, that sort of drew me to him in the first place. So, so he's definitely at the f- sort of forefront of my mind at the moment. So you mentioning the dry movie totally goes to show exactly what I was just talking about, because that was one of those things that when I was reading the book and I was just thinking about the interview, I'm like, I've got to ask her about, but of course I didn't write it down. So thankfully you brought it up. Now, when does it come out of the U.S.? So the producer producer in talks at the moment with distributors, I think obviously with things being so up in the air, it's been a little bit less clear cut than it has been. But I think they're feeling very optimistic that they'll find a good channel to get it out to US audiences. And I think the reception it's had in Australia, so it came out New Year's Day, which is a big a big movie release day here, and it's gone. It's it's number one in the box office this week, and has has got really great reviews. and And it's such a great film. I really hope you guys get to see it like soon. I absolutely love it. I think it's such a such a great adaptation and they've really captured the spirit and the tone of the book and Eric Banner who's a really beloved Australian actor does a wonderful job as Aaron Fork I really love it and I hope you guys could see I'm, I'm also in it as well I play a grieving townsperson sitting in the second row of the church looking look very convincingly sad and then I'm standing in the hall holding a, a glass of white wine again looking sad so keep an eye out for some quality acting there <laughs> Eric Bana is the perfect Aaron Falk. As soon as I heard that that's who they cast, I thought they hit it out of the ballpark. So that is fabulous. I can just hardly wait to see the movie. And as an author, it must be such a relief for you too. That can be really tricky. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, even as a reader, I've had that experience of seeing adaptations of books that I've loved and, and feeling it's it's not quite done it justice. When it's your own book, that sort of <laughs> that, that feeling is, is sort of heightened. But yeah, they've they absolutely nailed it. Like I, I love it. I've seen it about five times now. It's really good. So I hope you guys get to see it yeah, sooner rather than later. Because I think if you like the book, you'll you really like the film. They, they really complement each other. They're really great companion pieces. They both have the same feel and tone and tell the same story just in three different mediums. So yeah, I'm really, really happy with it. Well, and I'm excited. That may mean that we get to see him again. I actually think it makes perfect sense the way you did it, independent of even of what you're saying that, you know, you sort of had a story that was calling you and it didn't have Aaron in it. But I think sometimes when an author starts down the road of a series and gets too far, then when they want to write a standalone, everybody's like, oh, no, 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 we need another. So the way you did it where you wrote two and then could do a couple of standalones and then return to it should work really well for you, too. Yeah, and I think I think that was kind of an important decision. I think because I I knew I, I wasn't going to be the kind of author I think who who could write sort of twenty books around the same character. Like it just I think sometimes like either your series is, is there or it's not. And I feel like although he's a character, I was keen to return to. 
he's not sort of someone I'd be looking to follow for. For me, the plot is always the, the most kind of the thing that calls me, I think, to a book. And then I have the idea for the plot and then the characters kind of get built around it rather than start with the character and build a plot around the character. It's the other way around for me. So I always knew I'd kind of want to go into standalone. So it, it was great to kind of have that chance to kind of write those two standalone books while I was sort of thinking of another opportunity for, for Aaron, really. And it just doesn't bind you into a series where the publisher or readers are all clamoring for the next one. So I think doing it early on was a good idea. And yes, it is, I also think you're right. Sometimes 20 books in the same character, I mean, that just can kind of get to be a lot after a while for the reader and I'm sure for the writer. I think also for me, like some some writers pull it off really well. Like they they Their character has sort of a job or a, a kind of profession that kind of puts them naturally into like different adventures. But I think I felt like the my books are quite grounded in reality. So you sort of try and cherry pick the uh, the the certain scenarios that are that are right, I think. Yeah. How many vacations can he take and how many cases can he stumble upon kind of thing. <laughs> well I love to talk about titles and covers and I'm particularly interested in talking about your cover because it came out in Australia before it came out in the US and with Instagram and some of those things I've seen both covers which I think are both stunning. So I'm so curious how the covers came about, if you have a favorite between the U.S. and the Australia one and kind of your input, just the whole thing. Yeah. So the covers, the, the publishers kind of choose them and then they, they, they decide what's going to work best for the, their market. And then they kind of give you options and sign off and things. And yeah, this is the first time, normally the, the Australia and the U.S. covers are close, like they're basically the same design, just slightly tweaked. But this time the U.S. went for something completely different, which I really love actually. Like it's really, it's interesting how two very different designs I feel can sum up the book so well so yeah the the u.s has gone for kind of like sort of turquoise and, and black and and kind of a, a slightly sort of eerie feel which i really really like and i think really works well and they've had a the publishers have had a lot of great feedback about the covers i mean i personally love it and so i hope i hope the readers like it as well Oh, I love it. And I think it definitely portrays the story, the vibe and the feel of the story. It's like a little eerie and kind of dark. And I think it's fabulous. I was just sort of curious because I think they are very different looking to me. And so I was just kind of curious how you felt about it and if you had one you liked better than the other. Yeah, no, they are. I mean, they are so different, aren't they? I don't think I have like a particular favorite. I think for me, the main thing about the cover is I, I hope, yeah, it sums up the book well. And I hope, and I always hope it's something that I feel like I would pick up and read. And I feel for both of them, and I think particularly the US one, the way they've gone, this one is something that absolutely, if I was kind of in a bookshop or looking around, I would pick that up and read the blurb. You need, you need people to kind of be drawn to it. So I think it completely does that. And I like it. It's kind of, it's quite sort of mysterious as well. It's got that kind of small town intrigue about it. And yeah, Yes, I'm really happy with it. And the color of the letters for your name match the water. I just think it's very, very well done. Yeah, it's a cool design, isn't it? They've done a great job with it. It's, it's really nice as well to have what kind of different covers. And I think different people are drawn to different covers as well. So it's good to have a bit of a range specifically targeted for different markets. So yeah, so the US, yeah, they've done, they've done really well with this one. Well, they must find that different markets, different things appeal to different markets, because clearly that seems to happen regularly with books. And I'm always totally fascinated looking at what they pick for the US versus what they pick for the UK or Australia or someplace else, China. It's just kind of fun to see the different choices and makes you kind of wonder what it is about each market that leads them to what they pick. That's it. And sometimes the books are published in different territories. Sometimes I get a cover through for, say, for The Dry or something from 
like an Eastern European country, and it'll be absolutely gorgeous. Like this, this incredible design. I'm like, wow, like what a beautiful design this is. And and it's amazing to see like really the range of different designs that people can come up with all for the same story. So yeah, it's it's always it's always interesting to me as well to see yeah see what they kind of go for. You said that way more articulately than I did. For the same story that I've read and loved, see all the different visions that people have for it. That's it. And I think that's true with stories in general. Like when people kind of when I meet readers who've read the books, it's always interesting to me what elements they they mention. And sometimes it'll be things that honestly, like I even as the author, I never really thought were like kind of a, a key point or so be a big kind of turning point or memorable scene in the book. But for some reason that will resonate with them, maybe because of their age or what they've experienced themselves. And they'll they'll have they'll have picked up a little key points that will really have kind of rung true with them. It's it's often so different for different people. It's really it's really interesting and, and I think that's one of the keys when people say things like, you know, why why is a certain book successful? I mean, there's no one answer because if there was one answer, we'd all be doing it all the time. And I think it's a multitude of things and it's lots of little things that hopefully resonate with enough people that enough people feel that they can relate to the story and it and it it just has that kind of ring of ring of truth for them. And I think you're right. It still is a little bit of a mystery because there'll be times when a publisher is really hyping a book and you know they think it's going to be this huge hit and it just falls flat or vice versa. There's a a pick up a book and I love it. And I'm like, well, why are they not talking about it more? So yes, it's just hard to know exactly what will resonate, but it is wonderful, I'm sure, when you hear from readers who have thought enough about parts of your story to then tell you what resonated with them and what, what rang true with them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And it's, it's, and you can never really, I think you can never tell either. So that's another reason why you may as well just write the best book that you can write in the best way that you can do it, because there's no point trying to kind of really second guess what a reader is going to respond to, because you, you, you just don't know. And I kind of feel like as long as it kind of passes the test for me, that that's, that's all I can really ask for. And hopefully that will pass the test for the readers as well. Well, and that seems a lot more authentic too. I mean, if you're writing the story you want to tell versus writing a story you think somebody else wants to hear. You can just tie yourself up in knots trying to please everybody. And writing a book is, it is like I said before, it is, it is a huge task and it can be very overwhelming if you kind of start worrying too much about the big picture. Like all you can do is write the best book that you can write and you can't really control anything beyond that, like sales or responses or anything. All you can do is sort of do the best you can do and feel like at the end, like I could not have told that story any better. And you just have to kind of focus on the things that you can control yourself, I think. Yes, I think that's great advice. Focus on the thing that appeals to you to write about, and then it will go well from there. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to ask you what you've read recently that you really liked. Yeah. So what have I read recently? I, I read a really great Australian book recently, which I'm not sure if it's out in the US yet, but you can maybe get it online or keep an eye out for it. And it's a book called The Mother Fault by an Australian author called Kate Mildenhall. It's a kind of hard book to describe because it's, it's kind of, it's really sort of crosses genres and it's, it's sort of slightly near futuristic. It's slightly dystopian, but in a very kind of near future when the climate is just like a little bit worse and the government is still like a little bit more controlling. It's set in Australia and it's set about a, a woman whose husband has gone missing while he's working abroad and she has to sort of take her children and basically try and, and find him while knowing that her movements are sort of tracked by this slightly sort of big brotherish government. And it's, it, it's, so it's called A Mother Fault by Kate Mildenhall. And I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. I thought a really kind of interesting, pacey read, which 
was really beautifully told. So if you guys can get a copy of that, I think that that was something I really enjoyed this year. That sounds fabulous. I'll have to look for that. And all the time people are recommending books that aren't quite out yet, but you know, they're coming up. And I think people love that because then they can put it on their list and know to look for it when it comes out. Yeah, I think another one which, and I recommend another Australian book, which I know is out. It's been out for a couple of years now, but often people overseas maybe haven't discovered it yet. But there's a, a really interesting novel as well called The Natural Way of Things by another Australian author called Charlotte Wood. It's also, again, set in a very sort of near future where a, a group of girls, sort of young women, wake up in this sort of remote farmland, basically, kind of sort of detained, essentially. This isn't a spoiler, they work this out very quickly. As they sort of they come up from this sort of drugged state and they kind of get to realize where they are. And they, they realize quite quickly that each one of them has made an allegation of sexual assault against a powerful man. So you're a boss or a CEO or a sports person. And they've all kind of been sort of rounded up and sent out to this middle of nowhere, basically. And it's sort of the story kind of unravels, I guess, the sort of the power dynamics and things that have sort of brought them to this situation. So yeah, that's called The Natural Way of Things by Charlotte Woods. Oh, that sounds really good too, and a little creepy, maybe. Yeah, it is. It's quite. It's quite sort of thought provoking. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been out for quite a few years now, and it's still sort of is something that I think about from time to time. Well, Jane, it is always a delight to talk with you, and I know we're going to be talking together again soon for Murder by the Books event. But I really appreciate your time and your coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh no, thank you so much, and I'm really looking forward to yeah chatting next month as well for Murder by the Books. That sounds great, and it's been really great to talk to you again. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram and Pinterest at Thoughts From My Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Jane's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.